0: Holiday World and Splashing Safari has a a make-believe cemetery as part of their Frightful Falls uh, experience. As you wind through the the woods, uh, you get to read some humorous epitaphs. You've seen these before. Disney World has them. Uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not has them. I heard about one uh, stone that read, Here lies Jonathan Pease. Pease ain't here, only the pod. Pease shelled out and went home to God. Another one reads, Here lies Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. One that caught my attention was at Disney World. There's one that reads, Here lies good old Fred. A big old rock fell on Fred's head. I heard about a hypochondriac who lived to be 101 years old. And when she died, she had put on her tombstone the inscription that said, See, I told you I was sick. Those always make me smile. But real graveyards aren't funny at all. There's something about a graveyard that feels so final. There's nothing more that can be done at this point. All the medicines that can be taken have been tried. All the prayers that can be prayed have been prayed. Uh, Accidents uh, that happened can no longer be avoided. A cemetery just feels like the end of the story. However, Easter is a reminder that we can still have hope, even in a cemetery. Last week, we saw where Easter is a reminder that you can always trust Jesus always, no matter what. And this week, we'll see how Easter is a reminder that we can, all, we can still have hope no matter where we find ourselves. And we all have those places, don't we? Yours may be something other than a cemetery. Uh, it could be the place where you find uh, out that you lost your job. And anytime you go past that room where you had that difficult meeting, uh, you're reminded of that change in your life. It could be the courthouse where a marriage ended. Or perhaps it's the jail where a friend or a loved one is serving time. And every time you drive past there, your heart just sinks and aches for that person. It took me several years before I could even go past the BP station in Plainfield where I was gassing up at pump number eight when my phone rang, letting me know that a loved one did not survive his accident. But here's the good news. Regardless of where those places are in your life, With Jesus, hope has no boundaries. No matter where you are or where you're going, what you're going through, hope has no end. The psalmist describes the omnipresence of God in Psalm 139. He he writes, "If, if, If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, well, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, (laughs) even the darkness will not be dark to you, for the night will shine like the day. Wherever you go, God is there. We're going to look at Jesus' appearance to Mary Magdalene from the Gospel of John chapter 20 today. Now, as soon as the Sabbath had ended and it was permissible, several women went to anoint Jesus' body for his permanent burial. It was so early that it was still dark. The sun in the eastern horizon had not even begun to turn the, the sky orange. We gather a list of, of some of the women that went to the tomb by looking at all four Gospels. Apparently, Mary Magdalene, uh, the other Mary, Salome, Joanna, Mary, the mother of Jesus, were among them, and that they were the ones to report the good news to the disciples. The good news that the tomb was, in fact, empty. The good news that they had had an angelic appearance. John focuses his gospel on Mary Magdalene, and so she's going to be the focus of our attention this morning. If you want to grab your Bible or your smartphone and look it up with me, we're in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. This is what it says. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she she stooped to look in the tomb. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Two questions are posed to Mary in John chapter 20, and I think they're good questions for us today as well. The first question is this, the angels asked Mary Magdalene, why are you crying? Let me ask you this morning, what troubles you? What's on your mind? What burdens do you have weighing you down today? Anything? Have you in tears? It's one thing for me to ask you that via a video program. Imagine being Mary Magdalene and having that question posed to you by angelic beings asking you, Why are you crying? Angels are often portrayed uh, today in comic strips and in in, uh, pageants at at churches by little children wearing white robes and halos made of, of garland. But I want you to know that, that these beings aren't just cute, whimsical, and sweet images. Instead, they are very real beings created by God. They often serve as his messengers in Scripture, or they come to minister to those who are fulfilling God's purposes here on earth. They are powerful, and they are far more spectacular than we give them credit today. But the good news for you and for me this morning is as we look for hope in the graveyard is that these powerful images that brought hope to Mary Magdalene brought a hope that continues on for you and for me. All their power, all their splendor are used to bring us hope. Look with me, flip over to Matthew 28 verses 2 through 4 and let's look at who rolled away the stone stone at the tomb of Jesus. Matthew 28 verses 2 through 4 says this, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now there are four things that jump out at me from those two verses about angels. that kind of go against the cartoon version of them that we see today. The real angels, one, we learn from this passage that there was a great earthquake. It wasn't an aftershock. It wasn't a, a tremor. It was a great earthquake. This earthquake had a cause. The word gar in verse two is translated by the English Standard Version and by the New American Standard Bible as the word for, and I think that's apt aptly correct, uh, for, for it to be called that. But I like what the NIV, the new international version, uh, translates the word gar with the word because. And the reason I like it is what it's saying is there was a great earthquake because an angel from heaven had descended and had come onto earth and his arrival on earth was so powerful that it caused not just a tremor, but a great earthquake. This is a powerful, powerful being. The second thing that jumps out at me is that this angel is the one who rolled away the stone. It didn't roll away on its own. It wasn't forced open by grave robbers. No no one used any kind of a lever to, to budget. An appointed angel by God from heaven came to earth and rolled it away. And after he did so, he's kind of got a little attitude about himself. I like it that he hops up on the rock and sits up on the top of it. I like to picture him with his arms folded and his legs crossed. It's as if he's telling death in the grave, hey, take that. (laughs) It's funny to think of the women on the way to the graveyard being so concerned about who would roll away that great stone. That was on their mind before the sun even rose as they were on the way to the tomb. What stone are you worried about today? God can take care of it. Just like these ladies on their way to the tomb asking, but who will roll the stone away for us? Uh, You can have Jesus as the one. You can put all of your trust and your faith knowing that he can roll away the stone. As I watched the news uh, this week, as as many of you uh, no doubt did as well, uh, I saw that there's a lot of concern, a lot for us to be concerned about. And I kept wanting to ask myself questions that start with the word, but, but who will roll the stone away in the midst of my faith and trying to trust in God? I wanted to ask, but what, what about this? And what about that? There was the stone of, but who will roll away the stone of the economy uh, crashing, Uh, but who will roll away the stone of germs if, if my family comes in contact with them? But who will roll away the stones of e-learning if my children struggle with their schoolwork and their grades suffer? The same God who appointed an angel to come from heaven and earth to roll away the stone from Jesus' tomb can handle whatever size rock you're worried about today. Third thing that jumps out at me, the angel's appearance was as bright as lightning, Welders have to wear protective eyewear when they weld or else it will damage their eyes. Maybe if you're like me, you kind of get geeked out about things like solar eclipses and you've gone and you've stood in long lines uh, to get the special eyewear, those funny looking cardboard sunglasses that we all wear whenever we we go out and we look at the right time to catch a, a, a glimpse of a solar eclipse. And they warn you, whatever you do, don't look directly into it or it'll damage your eyesight. This angel's appearance was like that of lightning. There's no hotter heat than white hot. And this white lightning was the appearance of these angels. Matthew tells us his appearance was spectacular and brilliant. He says it was like lightning. The final thing that I notice about these angels is this. The guards were terrified over the angels' appearance Not many people would get terrified over some of the uh, angelic uh, images we see today in cartoons and portrayed in churches, but these real angels sent by God, they caused Roman soldiers to be terrified to the point in which they fell to the ground. And I think it's fascinating the fact that it wasn't fear over failure at their job, which the, would be punishable by death. It was fear over the, this angelic image that caused them to fall to the ground like dead men. We have a powerful God, and there is nothing so big that you and him together won't be victorious. According to Mark 15, it was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, who went to the tomb to watch Jesus be put in the grave the day that he died. And the reason they went there is they wanted to be able to know for sure where they were coming back to as soon as it was allowable to go and to prepare the body for permanent burial. As Mary returned to the tomb here in John 20, her grief seems to focus on the missing body of Jesus. She was looking for a dead body not a resurrected Savior. Verse 2 tells us Mary Magdalene used the plural pronoun we when she told Peter and John, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have put him. The chronology chronology of the arrival to the empty tomb is complicated as, as you factor in the four eyewitness accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mary Magdalene appears to have had a private moment at the empty tomb, apart from the one with the other ladies that led her to not only encounter angels, but Jesus himself. And by the way, when you think about the the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as four eyewitness accounts, it, it lifts the credibility of them that they don't match up perfectly. You expect if you put four people in four separate rooms and you ask them each to tell their account of the same story, you're going to hear the truth from all four of them but you're going to hear it from their perspective. They may not all include all the same details. And so you have to keep that in mind as you're looking at this event in the four Gospels. Mark says that when Mary Magdalene reported to the disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead, they did not believe her. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine these disciples rolling their eyes? I can hear one of them saying, here we go. Mary's life experiences probably caused her to not be taken seriously. Mark 16 reminds us that Mary Magdalene was the one in whom Jesus, from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons and set her free from their torment. She had had a troubled past, and Jesus had set her free from all of that. Later, Jesus would appear to two men on the road to Emmaus. He prevented them from recognizing him at first, and he asked them what these sad things were uh, that they were discussing. One of them said to Jesus about the women's report in Luke 24. He said, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen, that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said. But him. They did not see. You hear the skepticism in their, their tone. When Mary finally recognized that the man who she assumed was the gardener of the graveyard was really Jesus himself, she called him Rabboni. While, while that word does mean teacher, it is far more than just a teacher. It was her way of calling him the great one or my Lord. And I love that her recognition of him came when he said her name, when Jesus says your name, there's something incredibly reassuring about that. And she was overcome with joy and she shouts out, "Raboni!" Mary was asked by the angels why she was crying. She was crying because she hadn't put her hope in the resurrected Savior. She was only looking for a dead body. But that was about to change for her. Because the second question asked of Mary Magdalene was by Jesus himself. He asked, who are you looking for? Who is it that you seek? Matthew's gospel tells us that the powerful angel sitting on top of the rolled away stone acknowledged they knew what the women were looking for. They were looking for Jesus among the dead. Mary Magdalene was thinking only of the missing body, and in so doing, she was missing the fact of the resurrection. Who are you looking for? But the angel said, I know who you're looking for. You're looking for the crucified Jesus. He isn't here, not in this tomb. They had come looking for a dead body, but they were missing the resurrection. Luke said, the angels asked them, why are you looking for the, le- the living among the dead? The angel sitting on top of the stone reminded the ladies that Jesus himself was the one who had told them that he would rise from the dead in the first place. Matthew 17 verses 22 through 23 says this, And they were gathered in in Galilee. Look, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. They were greatly distressed when Jesus told them exactly what to expect, so much so that they apparently were not listening. They were in so much distress about Jesus dying that they missed the part about the resurrection on the third day. Don't miss that part. That's the best part. Don't focus so much on, on the dying and the death that you forget to look, in, look to the resurrection and the life that is Jesus. And here in John 20, they had allowed themselves to be defeated by the cross. When you're in a place of grief, know that it's okay to grieve. Just don't lose your hope in the midst of your grief. Grieve differently than those who have no hope. Whether it's a graveyard, a jail cell, a courtroom, an unemployment line, the consultation room, that small little room off of the waiting room of the ER, whatever place known for sorrow that you find yourself in physically, they can be places of hope when you look to the resurrected Jesus. You can still have hope. Yes, even in a graveyard. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul writes, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. In other words, those who have passed away before the second coming, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Oh, we grieve. We just grieve differently. We do not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. When you come to a place like a graveyard, it's perfectly appropriate to shed tears. It's right and it's respectful to honor the memory of loved ones with attractive monuments and pretty flowers. But remember this, your loved ones are not there. When Paul was facing the threat of death for preaching the gospel, he said in 2 Corinthians 5.8, he said, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. To be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. He said to the Philippians in Philippians 1.22, he said, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Bob Benson wrote a book titled, See You at the House. Those five words mean a lot to us. See you at the house. Our houses are places where we make memories. It's places where we have dinners together. We play board games together. We watch memories. We celebrate birthdays and other family events. Our, our homes, our houses are a place where we feel secure and we feel loved and we feel a sense of belonging. Maybe you've taken separate cars to an event Uh, my wife, Shauna, and I end up doing that a lot. We'll both be coming from work to one of our kids' school events after work, and we have two separate cars. And when we go to leave to go home, we're leaving at the same time. We get in our two cars, and we usually try to park our cars beside each other or near each other. And when you get in the car, it would be kind of awkward to just jump in and not say something to the other person. So we'll typically say, see you at the house. Maybe you've done that when you've taken multiple cars to church on a Sunday morning to the church building. And when church service lets over and you get in the car to leave, you, you say to one another, Well, see you at the house. Uh, it wouldn't make any sense for us to have some huge m- emotional breakdown and to cry and sob uncontrollably when we know we're going to see each other just a few miles down the road. And so we say, see you at the house. Benson wrote in his book, See You at the House, that before he became a Christian, he used to think of dying as leaving the party early. But now that he was a Christian himself and facing his own death as he was writing the book, he said, now I realize that for the Christian, death is leaving early to go to the party. It's okay to grieve. Just don't grieve like those who have no hope. Grieve like those who don't have to say goodbye. They'll just say, I'll see you later. I'll see you at the house, God's house. For the ladies in Matthew 28, that first Easter sunrise morning, they were invited to tour the empty tomb. The angel basically told them, come take a look. You can see where his body used to be. Now, this tour was more about giving them proof that his body used to be there, but it was no longer where it used to lay. The angel then follows up this invitation with, then go quickly. In other words, you can come into the tomb for a while and briefly look around. But don't hang out in the graveyard. You get going. You go tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Have you been hanging around on to grief and unable or unwilling to take hold of hope? Have you been hanging around the graveyard too long? Have you been hanging around, maybe it's just emotionally and not even physically, that geographic place in which that bad memory exists? It's time to go quickly. It's time to get moving because you have a message of hope to share. It's time to get out of the graveyard. It's time to have hope. Not only were they told to go and look for the disciples and to share the good news with them, but they were told that Jesus himself had already gone ahead of them into Galilee. Once again, he wasn't in the tomb. He had left the building. Jesus wasn't in the tomb after the resurrection. Somebody pointed out to me that there will be a lot of empty church buildings this Easter Sunday. But the good news is that's a reminder that the tomb was empty. Matthew says they did just what the angels told them to do. They were full of great fear and joy. Now, the word fear there doesn't mean they were frightened so much as it means they were They were awestruck and they were overflowing with joy over the good news of the resurrection. Mark says that they started running toward the disciples because they were overwhelmed with tremendous astonishment. The resurrection of Jesus was more than just pastel colors and pretty flowers and bonnets. The resurrection of Jesus was a time of great energy and excitement and joy and power that came with a mighty earthquake and the arrival of an angel to roll away a stone. Jesus told Mary Magdalene after the resurrection, when she realized who he was and she cried out, "Raboni." he said, now don't cling to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father in heaven. There are a variety of interpretations or reasons why scholars think he said that. My take on it's pretty simple. I think he was telling her, hey, I'm, I'm still here. I'm not left yet. And for 50 days, Jesus appeared to many people in a variety of settings, publicly and privately after the resurrection. And there was a lot to accomplish. He's like, while I'm still here, I haven't left yet. Go tell my disciples that I have risen. We have a different urgency today. Jesus has already ascended. Those 50 days are long gone. Time's not running out on his return to heaven, but it is running out on his return to earth. Someone has said on the news this week that the COVID-19 pandemic has caused everyone to evaluate what matters most in life. Maybe it's time this Easter season to do some evaluating, to realize that we can always trust Jesus no matter what. And there is still hope no matter where we find ourselves. I want to close uh, with some lyrics from a song, uh, Bound for Glory. A friend of mine posted this on Facebook this week after losing a loved one. And here's what it says. This world is not my home. I'm here for a moment. It's all I've ever known. But this world is not my home. The fight is not my own. These burdens aren't my future. The empty tomb has shown that I am bound for glory. I'm free because I'm bound. I'm bound for heaven's gate where my feet will stand on holy ground. And I'm bound for glory. The saving work is done. Death is not my ending. My God has overcome. I am bound for glory. All my pain, hurt, and shame, gone when Jesus calls my name. Endless joy, endless praise, all when Jesus calls my name. May you hear him calling your name this morning as Mary Magdalene heard him call hers. And when he does, recognize him and get out of the graveyard filled with hope and go tell everyone you know the good news. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much that we do have the hope. God, I, I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that this morning service is, is going out to people, Lord, that are suffering in a, a multiplicity of ways. And Father, we are all feeling the pressure of this COVID-19 pandemic and we're, we're trying to decipher from the news, uh, Lord, what our proper responses should be. And Lord, I pray that in this moment, God, we'd all be filled with your supernatural peace that surpasses all comprehension because the tomb was empty, because Jesus is who he said he is and he defeated death in the grave and he's given us the victory and it is not the end and things are not final in the cemetery and there is still hope. God, we thank you for that hope. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.